Welcome, everybody. You are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and also all around the world. I'm your host, Tom Hush, and... As for the first time in three weeks, yes. I get to introduce my co-host, my best friend and worst enemy, Connor Cornelius. Connor, it is fantastic to see you again. Tom, it's been way too long. Glad to be physically in your presence again, as I am repulsed by it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt a certain sense of unease the moment I went to get you from the lobby. I yeah. was like... Oh, hard getting but it. also yeah that's a hard walk yeah it was a, it was a hard walk but i'm so glad to see you um and then who's three, this guy this guy we've got a third chair we're gonna get to him we're gonna get to him he's gonna wait though he's gonna wait, his, wait turn. his damn turn <laughs> uh i do want to ask i feel like we had like a summer vacation almost yeah even we, though we were making episodes we were doing shows uh had a little summer vacation i need to know did you what did you watch have you seen anything recently uh yeah, over these last three weeks what did you watch without me so a couple nights ago, I had a horror double feature. I had never seen John Landis's An American Werewolf in London. I just watched that for Fantastic. the first time, and it's so good. And then uh, when I heard that George Romero passed away, I watched Night of the Living Dead. Right. As, um, as one does. As one does. When, uh, when such a brilliant mind passes away, you dig into their work. And we're going to be getting into that. We're going to be talking a little bit about George Romero with our mysterious third guest, who shall not be named until I say so. Until he waits his turn. Yeah, until he waits his turn. And then I also watched My Left Foot last really? night with Daniel Day-Lewis, and I'd never <laughs> seen that before. What were you, how'd you feel about it? Um, I'm a little... I've always had a lot of respect for Daniel Day-Lewis, but I've never felt, like, kind of afraid of him before, you know? It's just, I don't understand how a person does the things to themselves that Daniel Day-Lewis has done to himself to get a performance. Yeah. He, uh, I don't know. It's so weird. I feel like whenever I watch Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm just... I'm not. I can't even think about what he's putting himself through to just get to that point of just pure acting. Yeah. Um, I, if you, if anybody's ever out there seen um, in the name of the father, which is about uh, the IRA, it takes place in Ireland. It's it's all about father son relationship. That's a fantastic early performance from Mr. Day Lewis. Um, but of course, you know Lincoln. Uh, hell, even Gangs of New York, which isn't really my favorite movie, he's fantastic in it. Yeah, so. as the butcher. Yeah, Bill the Butcher. Bill the Butcher. Um, I actually watched, I finally saw uh, Baby Driver. Oh, nice. Gone. Yeah. Uh, the I understand the hype. Okay. But uh, I have some issues with it. All right, I, let's hear them. I, I think it's a type of movie where if you kind of put when the minute you start pulling away the narrative threads, it starts to fall apart a little bit, especially towards the the third act. However, it's still a lot of fun. Car chases are fantastic. Female characters are a little underwritten. I was going to ask for that. Yeah, that seems sort of like a common criticism uh, of Edgar Wright's movies. Yeah. Um. And and this goes back to Scott Pilgrim. I'm not going to include the Cornetto trilogy because those movies are basically all about male bonding. Right. And that's like the point. So those get a pass, if you ask me, because they're just like, well, it's not. It's about the male to male relationship, arguably uh, borderline the sexual relationship that kind of exists between men when they're that close. But it's like pseudo. I don't know. Specifically, we get, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Exactly. Yeah. That is that is a true romance in, oh, yeah. in a very beautiful way. But um, when you get to Scott Pilgrim, uh, I mean, Scott Pilgrim is in concept inherently a little bit like. So this guy has to fight evil exes to win this girl's heart. Mm-hmm. I would say that the original source material is a lot more nuanced than they could accomplish in a two-hour film. I mean, that's I mean, props to Edgar Wright for really nailing the visual aspect of it and most of the story aspect of it. But it came off as a little bit like 
you know, uh, the, the almost like the male version of what's it called? Manic Pixie Dream Girl. It's oh. almost like Scott Pilgrim is the Manic Pixie Dream Girl who is going after another Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah, and okay, it's, I get that. Yeah, but I think Scott Pilgrim handles it a little bit better. Baby Driver is all about this like kind of fifties driver aesthetic of like you know get the girl all this kind of stuff and look cool while you're driving your hot rod yeah <laughs> we get on we get i could do like an hour on this but the point is is that i really enjoyed baby driver uh i think it'll make a list of and again we'll talk about this later uh movies of 2017 that i really enjoyed so far um but the hype is pretty big for what it actually is i think people are a little bit scared to actually engage with some of the ideas and i know there are people out there who are writing about this women problem with baby driver so um maybe that's a conversation we'll have a little bit later but right now uh we're going to get into our coming soon segment but not before i introduce our third guest he's been hiding in the shadows as he is emerging to do. yeah <laughs> we've got one light on him and it's kind of just cutting off half his face the rest is obscured by shadow i wish you could see it people it's breathtaking yes really. uh you may remember him from our second episode his name is nate waters he is a writer a director he is the co-founder co-creator of into the void films and he is our resident horror expert when it comes to uh all things film nate so glad to have you back Hey guys, happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. And thank you so much for being so patient, but we are also the host so we can tell you what you can and can't do. Fair enough. Stay in line. Uh, We're going to get into our coming soon segment here, and we've got a lot of big news, a lot of big news, uh, but before we, I've always been thinking we need like a theme or something to the news, like news news yeah 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 it's the news the news news the news <laughs> news coming soon coming soon to a theater near you oh, yeah. come on now gonna talk about what's going on what's going on what's going on yeah. All right, coming soon. <laughs> yeah, that, was awesome. that was so good. Um, all right, so first on the docket here, we've got a little bit of uh, horror movie mythology, mythology movie making, uh, a rumor that's been going around for quite a while at this point. Uh, Connor, give us a little rundown of what's happening here. So if you've ever, uh, fans of 80s horror have probably seen the, the film Poltergeist, Uh most notably directed by Toby Hooper. However, uh, if you didn't know this, Steven Spielberg was also the executive producer of the film, and it has been recently uh, unveiled in a podcast for, uh, what is it, Shockwaves through yeah, Blumhouse's? Shock- yeah, it's through uh, Blumhouse Productions. You may know them for making films like, uh, uh, did they do the con- Annabelle? Oh, and- no, that's New Line. So they that's did, yeah, like Insidious, Get Out, uh, The Purge. Yeah, a lot of that, a lot of big split. horror that's come out. Um, um, recently yeah very recently and very very pretty good horror films but they have a podcast and um and it's been revealed on this podcast yeah. that toby hooper who is credited as the director for poltergeist is for all intensive purposes was not actually the director a lot of people all of the stagehands the director of photography and an assistant cameraman uh according to their testimonials said that basically steven spielberg had all of the creative control on set and toby hooper was more or less just happy to be there yeah and let's go over to nate here because this has been a long-standing rumor correct 
Yeah, this is this been like hotly debated for years. I remember hearing people talk about it at like horror conventions. People like <laughs> arguing over who really directed Poltergeist. And it kind of makes sense to hear that Steven Spielberg really directed it because Toby Hooper, as many know, uh, very famous for directing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre parts one and two, mm-hmm. and. Um, when you watch those movies, this does not, and then you watch Poltergeist, there's really kind of a stylistic disconnect, not in the sense that, oh, this is Toby Hooper doing something different. He's doing a different style, but literally, like, it doesn't look like Toby Hooper's movie. And it also, like, story-wise, it feels like something Spielberg would do where it's, like, very emotionally engaged mm-hmm. with the family, and it feels like something that, you know, Amblin would do as opposed to something that's normally in, like, Hooper's wheelhouse. And, I like, uh, once this this news came to light on shockwaves to be honest i was a little disappointed because i love toby hooper he's one of my favorite horror directors <laughs> um i i had always just imagined that like spielberg was like the mr miyagi of the movie and he was, he sure. was just there wax to, on like, wax yeah, off he was just there to like lend support when needed but um yeah i guess you know it turns out that he was actually a lot more hands-on than we all thought yeah apparently he was really intense on on set but he's really cool offset. Offset. Yeah, they said, there like, he's go. like, everyone come to my house. We'll watch the rushes after, after the shoot. <laughs> yeah, we'll watch I, the dailies. Yeah. I can I can live with that, you know, work hard, play hard sort of mentality oh, totally. for Steven Spielberg. You know, he's one of the greatest, in my opinion, one of the greatest living American directors. Uh, so if this is true. if this is true, it doesn't it doesn't shock me. But mm-hmm. this is not the only rumor to float around poltergeist it has a little bit of a air of of mystery this movie yeah poltergeist is up there with like the exorcist is like there's all of these like uh myths about like supernatural things happening behind this uh the scenes and one of the biggest ones that we were talking about before is uh that there's certain scenes where they use like real skeletons real and, human yeah, skeletons re- real human skeletons so uh those aren't props those are real and uh you know like that's one of the myths is that you know the, the people who the skeletons belong to weren't too happy that their bodies were used in the movie so the produ- production's like haunted what, what how lame is that on the part of those dead people yeah seriously like, come, come on. on you get to be in a hollywood movie directed by shadow directed by steven spielberg <laughs> yeah. you're part of history come how on, dare you <laughs> but hey you know there there is a point of view that needs to be captured there and uh i don't know maybe we could do our first no coast seance Oh, oh! We're gonna go Rashomon and actually have like a séance. And yeah, oh, that'd be cool. Go deep. We could take them on the show. Yeah. Hey, dead Ghosts. people. <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> go, go on the show. show. Go on the show. God, we gotta um, keep. I don't know if we're gonna be able to go any higher than that. No, that's the pr- premium octave. We'll just, the, we'll just oscillate down now. Yeah. Put a little phaser on that, please. Yeah, please, <laughs> please, uh, producer. Put the put the phaser on the put the phaser on there, please. <laughs> um, speaking of Steven Spielberg, next story here is coming out of the uh, Venice Film Festival. It is a very very big film festival, one of the biggest, and um, they have announced their headlining films for their Venice Film Fest classics. They show a bunch of classic movies in addition to those that are going to be pre- uh, premiering at the uh, at the festival. And Steven Spielberg among so let me let me put it this way. Usually with the Venice Film Festival, they're showing a lot of international classics. You've got two or three things I know about her by Jean Luc Godard. You've got Red Desert, Michelangelo, uh, Antonioni. Um, you've got filmmakers like Mizuguchi, uh, who else? J- uh, James Whale, uh, a couple, and Ozu as well. So these are all people. John Landis is on there as well. Into the Night. 
But uh, they're going to be showing as one of their classics, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is kind of interesting because when you look at some of these director, these names, maybe this is just because we're far removed from them. But they always come off as kind of art house. From our perspective, these are just like classics. Like yeah. these are, you know, uh, kind of artier films, a little bit more not not populist films. Whereas Steven Spielberg is a decidedly populist director. The maybe, yeah, the popular. I mean, we're talking, you know, the Indiana Jones films. Ra- you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, even, mm-hmm. and that's one of yeah. his weirder ones. E.T. E.T., yeah, yeah come I was on. Say too. Yeah, <laughs> gotta say E.T. So, uh, what does that say about um, that that period of cinema, or that type of cinema, even that period of cinema uh, for Steven Spielberg, that kind of new Hollywood movement? What does that say now that it's being included with names like Jean-Luc Godard, um, as a, uh, Antonioni, Ozu, these giants of cinema? That Spielberg's regarded as like a genuine auteur. I know. He's, he's not just genuinely consider, or he's not considered as just like some pop filmmaker, you know. But even though his movies are extremely uh, popular and they're very commercial, he does fit all sorts of subtext about family and relationships. And there's like there's a lot of stuff to dig into. So I think that like third uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind fits perfectly into that. Yeah, and there's like this sense that um, pop just because something is you know pop. As if we're going to put it that way, I mean, I would say most of the movies he's made would be would be in the pop music sort of canon of cinema. Yeah. It shows that there is still an immense amount of artistic merit to a film like Close Encounters of the Third right. Kind. It takes risks, you know. It's an interesting approach to a to a horror sci fi kind of kind of movie. But like you said, Nate, there's still within that that strong heart that a lot of people that well that Spielberg always has in his films. And that's that's it is the heart. Yeah. It's it's all about heart with steels. Uh, steel Spielberg. Steelsberg. <laughs> Wouldn't I that be a great? Yeah, Steelsberg. <laughs> Have you guys seen? Um, there's like a bunch of memes that show famous directors, but as chefs and like what their meals would be like. Yes. No, yeah, I did that was see awesome. that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And his it's is cool. like a nice Thanksgiving meal. It's a well balanced oh. meal that the whole family can enjoy. Oh. And then what was Michael Bay's? It was like a exploded <laughs> turkey or something. <laughs> it was like it was like cake. Uh, yeah. You know, it's KFC like super greasy. <laughs> Burgers, like with bake, shitload of bacon on it, and he was just basically like, mm, "We're gonna love this." Yeah, it's, <laughs> and that's the weird thing, though, because you could look at you could look at movies or all media as a, as a diet. Yeah, it's and uh, Spielberg is something that is full of nutrition. It's not out there or exotic most of the time, but it's it gives you exactly what you need, and, you, and it feels good sitting in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or as opposed to like Juve bowls, his was like pop tarts filled with diarrhea, <laughs> oh my with his own diarrhea. <laughs> Oh, well, now, I'm gonna, now I'm going to have Mr. Bull coming and challenging us for a boxing match. Well, you know what, Mr. Bull? Come yeah. on the show! <laughs> Get we'll on the be show. right here. We'll be right here for you. Uh, next up, another big director who, who rides the line of populist and sort of uh, artistic films. Uh, Christopher Nolan, he said recently that he will not work with Netflix because their film strategy is Pointless, uh, referring specifically to this idea of having same date streaming and uh, theater release. And I get what he said. He called it a mindless policy. Yeah. He really laid into him, Connor. Mm-hmm. But he, he did have nice things to say about other competitive streaming services like Amazon, where they will make a film, and if it's uh, deemed good enough for them, they will actually put it through for theatrical release, wait 90 days, and then it'll be on their streaming service, mm-hmm. which he is open to 
uh, he's he's not as critical of that, and he sa- said that he's kind of open to working with them as well. Yeah. Whereas with Netflix, it was like a flat no. Yeah. He even said in the article, you can see that Amazon is very clearly happy to not make that same mistake. Theaters have a 90-day window. It's a perfectly usable model. It's terrific. Um, and I'm inclined to agree with him because it is nice – uh, specifically for a film, let's take a film like Manchester by the Sea, directed uh, by you know for Amazon Studios. Sorry, made by Amazon Studios. Um, Oscar acclaim, fantastic! It's a really good movie. I really enjoyed it, and um, it was nice that it had its time in theaters, which gave it this sort of legitimacy. But then, as an Amazon Prime subscriber myself, it was so cool to know that this big movie was now available on my streaming service. It made me want to watch it more. It may, other than, you know, the prestige that it received. I did not see it in theaters. I didn't have the chance. Um, so it was nice that it was like, okay, yeah, Amazon made it. So I know that it's going to come to home, you know, to my streaming service soon. So if I miss it in the theater, it's going to be there in about 90, you know, 90 days, whatever, 180 days, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, Nate, as a, as a filmmaker yourself... How do these models, how do you feel about these models, you know? I'm also partly on uh, Mr. Nolan's side on this because I I get, um, he's one of those directors where, like, his movies go to cinemas, Mm -hmm. you know? So I can understand he'd be pissed if his movie didn't go to a theater and went straight to Netflix. If he can't show his movie in 70 millimeter, what's the the point? He's he's one of those kinds of auteurs. I'd put him in there with, like, Kubrick with Barry Lyndon where it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, like, I know for a fact with Dunkirk we got a letter that told us how to put it in the projector properly. So he gives a shit about whether or not or whether or not his movies are being played in theaters. And I think the Amazon model is great because it does give that movie a life in theaters, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, But at, on the same token, if you're a filmmaker who, you know, like, like myself, who's just starting off, you know, my movie probably isn't going to be in movie theaters in the same way that Christopher Nolan's is. So I would just be happy to have it on Netflix. But at the same time, it seems like Amazon has a little bit more of an accessible model for independent filmmakers, too, because you can put anything on Netflix and you don't have to like, or I'm sorry, on Amazon and you don't have to go through the same red tape that you would with Netflix. Yeah. So you've, it, you've mentioned to me in the past that there's a lot of uh, stipulations in terms of sound quality, in terms of video quality. Yeah. In order to get on Netflix as an independent filmmaker, you must meet a certain uh, benchmark when yeah. it comes to the quality of the of the audio and visual. Uh, Connor, your thoughts on the on the whole process? Yeah, so I think that uh, Christopher Nolan had an interesting criticism of of Netflix. However, let's not be overly critical because Netflix does give an outlet to creative directors. It gives them a lot of a tremendous amount of creative control. Uh, obviously, the funding that comes from them is uh, you know it's among the best in the world. Mm-hmm. That sounds stupid, um, but the best in the world it's gonna be huge. it's among the best in the world it's it's spectacular i know something about funding believe me <laughs> <laughs> and i thought that it was interesting though because christopher nolan you mentioned earlier in the article they say he's he says that netflix's strategy is mindless and he said that if you're going to me- make a theatrical film that uh people are supposed to be able to enjoy in a theatrical setting then mm-hmm. and whereas if it's just available immediately on netflix and you're just watching it on your couch at home what a like he didn't respect the work that Netflix had put into giving these people this creative outlet and all of this creative control over it. Sure. 
And I, I don't know. I think that that's interesting. Can, yeah. Can you imagine the look on Nolan's face if he saw you watching Dunkirk on your phone? Oh, my God. I'm going to do that. Like, if I ever meet Chris Nolan, I'm going to be like, so I was watching Dunkirk on my <laughs> iPhone the other day. My iPhone 4. Just, yeah. I, I, would do, I would do anything in my power to get him to walk out of the interview. <laughs> just punch, just, he'd punch you in the teeth. Oh, God. He probably would. Um, and the, the funny thing is, is that there's a great quote here from him. Um, first, I'd like to say that he definitely does not. Bl- he's not. He like appreciates Netflix. I think you mentioned Connor for giving the outlet, but he doesn't like that it's going straight to, and that he he said this. I think the investment that Netflix is putting into interesting filmmakers and interesting projects would be more admirable if it weren't being used as some kind of bizarre leverage against shutting down theaters. I do get that sense yeah, from absolutely. Netflix. And we've talked too. about yeah. this before a little bit. Yeah, Netflix does seem to have a sort of vendetta. Soft vendetta, maybe. Yeah. Against theatrical distribution. Yeah, maybe. they really just want to do it their own way. And there's nothing wrong with that, but to to Netflix, I would say the theater is more than just a place to go see movies. It's it's a experience like you know, you could if imagine if you could just watch a play in your living room. I mean, then they have, you know, they film plays and everything. But say like you go to see a play in like someone's house or someone's backyard. It's cool and it's non-traditional and there's artistic merit to it. But the reason that like people go to Broadway to see a play is not just the play itself. It's the the pageantry of it all. And I can appreciate that. And I think yeah. theaters provide something that um streaming outlets can't. Oh yeah, same here. I mean like uh to go back to horror movies like yeah. watching get out in a theater was amazing oh yeah because the, the audience was into oh, it yeah. yeah they're cheering dude yeah. they're having a good old time but like and i i love that movie at home but it's just not the same thing and it's the same like um watching dunkirk in a theater mm-hmm. people like look at each other when shit hits the fan yeah like, people, it, it's a community like people get involved yeah so like you lose that with um with digital distribution but at the same time i'm also with no one that i love the the freedom he's giving to filmmakers like i love the fact that there's a castlevania netflix show like that what world sure. do we live in where that exists you know yeah, right and it gives like unparalleled uh or um, netflix gives like unparalleled uh, creative control to these guys but at the same time it does feel like you know like if, if you can watch anything the day it comes out on your phone or on your TV, You're why kinda, would people yeah. want to go to the theater? Yeah, and I think watch that's, at home. Yeah, that's kind of people's question. Grab a six pack. And when Nolan was originally asked if his movies would ever be appearing on Netflix, he said, and he was with the the Warner Brothers. Um, I can't remember what the title was, but she basically said that the major studios are still strong supporters of theaters, and they say that theaters will always be the temple of cinema, like temples Mm -hmm. of cinema. The home, it's a great thing to be able to stream The Office from the comfort of your couch, but if you're really trying to experience films that are spectacles like Nolan's films are always, mm-hmm. um, the theater is the place to be. The theater is the place to be. I think I think that's a good way to cap it off. Uh, final, last story here, and this is just going to be a quick hit. Real, Just go- a bit of good news. A bit of good news is Universal is, again, investing in uh, another black 
director, a very successful black director. And Malcolm, prolific. And prolific. Prolific and successful black director, Malcolm D. Lee. Uh, he is the director of the recent film Girls Trip, but he has done films like The Best Man and its sequel, The Best Man Holiday. He did Roll Bounce in 2005. And personally, one of my favorites, Undercover Brother, which yeah. is yes. so good. Yes. Starring Eddie Griffin. <laughs> yeah. But he has been just given a uh, first look deal with Universal, which is following a c- couple months ago. They did a first look deal with Jordan Peele following the success of Get Out. Um, I want to ask, do you guys think that this is a shift towards investing in more diverse directors, more diverse stories? It's a it's a good question. Nate shrugs, it, uh, yeah, which really right. translates through the <laughs> through the microphone. I'm, I'm thinking here. I'm thinking. Let me yeah, it's done. a tough question because uh, I guess trend wise, it definitely is. But it's only two people in a sea of a yeah. of an industry that's existed for almost a hundred years. That's true, and it's been dominant, like, predominantly a white yeah, male white controlled yeah. uh, controlled industry. So the fact that p- other people from different walks of life are are getting these same opportunities is encouraging certainly but to say it's it's definitely a fledgling step towards greater investment right but is it is it a sign of massive change that everybody wants to see i'm not sure Yeah, yeah that's that's the interesting thing is um it's. I, I guess I just get so excited when some. It, it's such a sad state of affairs when something so minor happens. Something so minor. It, it is major, especially for uh, Mr. Lee. Like that's fantastic for yeah. him. I'm glad that he's getting this deal because the first look deal is really great. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but it's an interesting state of affairs when something so minor can be looked at as like such a massive step. Um, in the grand scheme of things, you're absolutely right, Connor. There's um. There's a lot more work to be done, but I am happy to see that uh, people like Jordan Peele, Mr. Malcolm D. Lee, uh, Patty Jenkins, who directed mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, yeah. they're proving to everybody we are, from, and just from a financial perspective, yeah. we are bankable as all hell. We are making money. We're making a lot of we're making movies that are successful that you haven't like, seen before. Yeah, that you haven't seen before. Even the like the Best Man Holiday. It's I mean, and its sequel, uh, or sorry, the Best Man and the Best Man Holiday. I mean, it's just like a franchise. At the, it's, I guess you can consider it the franchise or a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's doing well. Like it does well. Those movies bring in people because they just want to see these movies. Um, it and Girls Trip. It's probably going to be a, pre- a pretty decent yeah. hit. Good summer blockbuster. Well, probably not a blockbuster, yeah. but a good summer comedy with a lot of great talent. All all front, uh, basically an all black cast, mm-hmm. which is great. It's great to have representation, and it's going to play well with audiences because it's like for once, people are seeing themselves reflected on screen, and it's, and yeah. all it is is a romantic comedy. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. all it is, and it's gonna and it and it means so much more though because of its um. Because of its casting and who's directing it. All right, we're going to close the news bag here because we've because <laughs> we've, we've opened up a box Pandora's of, box yeah. Pandora's <laughs> box of news yeah. of news news. No. Um, next up, we are going to be doing a little bit of a retrospective for a dearly departed director, writer, and director um, George A. Romero, who passed away recently um, over this past this past weekend. 
Yeah, he uh, passed away this uh, this past weekend, and um, we're all—I would say—we're all affected by the zombie genre, which he helped create. But we're also going to talk about a couple of his little lesser-known films that show how much of a creative genius he was. Nate is going to stick around. Connor might stick around. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm eyeing the door. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we will be right back here on No Coast Cinema here on WGN Plus. to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! Okay, you're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I'm your host, Tom Hush, and joining me today, as always, is Connor Cornelius, my co-host, and Nate Waters. He is a writer, director, jack-of-all-trades from Into the Void Films, and he is also our resident horror expert. Uh, that clip you heard there, hopefully you recognize it. That is from Night of the Living Dead, released in 1968, I believe, 1968. Yep. And directed by George A. Romero. Mr. Romero passed away uh, this last weekend. And uh, he is a titan of the industry, not just in horror, but overall because of his creation of what we would call the modern zombie genre. Uh, Let's all go around for a second, and we'll start with you, Nate. Go over to Connor. Uh, When was the first time you saw a Romero film? Uh, sixth grade, I was at a sleepover with my twin brother and his best friend at the time, and uh, there was like a mom and pop video store down the block. So they, those guys went down there, and they had this old beat up VHS of Dawn of the Dead, and um, so we started with Dawn, um, and then I think I saw Day of the Dead next, and then I, I saw Night Last. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Dawn of the Dead was the big one for me, where they had like the blue pasty face, <laughs> or like the blue face zombies, and uh, we actually tried to make our own zombie movie in seventh grade based on the Romero movies. So, like, Romero and John Carpenter are, like, a big part of the reason why I even wanted to make horror movies in the in the first place. Right. And Connor, yourself. I recently watched Night of the Living Dead. That was the first time I'd actually seen it. It was a couple of days ago. But I, uh, thinking back on it, when I was a kid, you know, like, early teens, whatever that's called, tweens. Yeah. Whatever that is. I watched Dawn of the Dead, and I just assumed that that was the, the first one because I wasn't a very uh, curious person. And that was that was the 2004 Dawn of the Dead? Or, or like, the 78? original the 78 original okay that is see now i am going to uh completely out myself as a neophyte um the first george romero film i ever saw was not a george romero film at all it was Zack snyder's remake of dawn of the dead oh wow um and i still want to call it a romero film because even though it was not made by him it is his story um it's a remake and um that was my exposure to the zombie genre at first. And then I later found out, oh, it's a remake. And, oh, there's Night of the Living Dead. There's the original Dawn of the Dead. There's Day of the Dead. Land of the Dead, which is an interesting uh, interesting sequel, I guess. If, and it's weird to call them sequels because they don't really follow one another with characters. 
but they follow like a t- it's almost they all take place in the same universe oh almost. totally like yeah. in, in land of the dead uh tom savini's biker zombie from dawn of the dead makes a cameo right so like that that was his way of like is the reasoning sorry is the reasoning for the ghouls the explosion of the radioactive satellite still in all of those movies I th- it's it's ambiguous, but I think like they do bring that up several times throughout, yeah. especially in Land of the De- uh, Land of the Dead in the opening credits. People like, speculate on what they think did it, and yeah. that's one of the reasons. Yeah, so uh, he was Mr. Romero, instrumental to the creation of the zombie genre. He's basically the godfather of the zombie genre, um, and those films have been an enormous influence on cinema. Uh, basically. You get films like 28 Days Later, which kind of take the zombie genre to a different place. Um, Those definitely would not have – that wouldn't have happened without um, Mr. Romero. You've got comedies satirizing the genre. Shaun of the Dead, a fantastic comedy that really uh, subverts all the the tropes of zombies. You've got – even the the European film series Zombie, which is in fact like – an offshoot of dawn of the european cut of dawn of the dead is that correct nate yes 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 so uh yeah if we're referring to the same movie that's the one with the zombie fights the shark right yeah yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. So. classic oh yeah. dude yeah we'll look it up later it's amazing wait a minute so there's zombie there's zombie sharks in this universe? no it's a regular shark but it takes a bite out of a zombie and the zombie gets pissed and then bites the shark back boom Wow. The influence of George A. Romero. <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare waiting to happen. Now, Nate, do you have a little bit of a history on his his uh, filmmaking career? Absolutely. So uh, George A. Romero uh, grew up in Pittsburgh, and uh, once he got out of university, he began working in production around around town. And he talks about how almost every big city the size of Pittsburgh or bigger had a film development lab in that city because the news was shot on film at the time. So um, he started work, uh, you know, doing some stuff uh, like PAing and production stuff, and then he uh, worked his way up as a cameraman. And one of the first things that you'd probably recognize that Romero did was uh, a few of the episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Wow. He, yeah, he worked on uh, uh, with Mr. Rogers, and he, uh, some of the more notable ones are like Mr. Rogers gets a tonsillectomy, I think is the one. But like <laughs> yeah, Romero directed that one in. Uh, uh, it doesn't really feel like a Romero movie, but that's understandable. Uh, maybe the subject matter. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, he he was cutting his teeth doing stuff like that. And um, I believe, uh, yeah, with Night, Night of, the, of the Living Dead, him and, like, nine other friends started their own production company. And they were really frustrated that they couldn't get a budget for a movie. So they each said, there's ten of us. If we each ten throw in $600, we have at least some seed money to go off and start shooting Night of the, of the Living Dead. And they started shooting before they had any other budget. They only had six grand. And they ran out of money. They cut what they had. And then they showed that to some more investors. And I believe, like, one investor gave them five thousand dollars and then another investor gave them something similar to that and then they were able to finish the rest of the movie yeah so it's a pretty low budget movie you know yeah and uh yeah it was like a hundred and ten thousand dollars something in there yeah they they cobbled it together like people would be like five thousand eight thousand five thousand yeah it was pieced it together like a grassroots film exactly yeah very similar to evil dead too yes and uh it does have it does look low budget even by uh 1960s standards um it's definitely a, a, a bit of a gorilla film if you look at it um from from that perspective but it was a relative hit yes or no yeah, it was a huge hit yeah. at the drive-in scene people hadn't never seen anything like that and you know like 
we would be remiss if we didn't talk about all of the the racial subtext of that movie and a hundred percent they had people talking in a way that a lot of horror movies don't make you talk like that absolutely i mean having watched it recently connor what what did you get from the film while watching it just in an overall sense i was really uh taken aback by the pace of the movie i'd never seen a horror movie that just kept moving like it's dread from the very beginning you know they're in the graveyard it's already really bleak and the music is you know foreboding at at best and then you know and then the brother dies the guy who says to come to get you barbara he dies and then it's just the woman becomes catatonic and then all these people just keep coming in and the movie just keeps getting bigger and bigger and somehow it doesn't lose just the progression of the film i was really impressed by that nate you described it as a boiler pot or or like a powder keg sort of film where they're kind of you know they're trapped in the house and uh i feel like it was the first of its kind to really do something like that to all take place and really build the tension in such a way Mm -hmm. and one of one of my biggest takeaways from not just night but all of romero's work um it and to quote him he says uh the zombies are basically just window dressing they're kind of like mosquitoes that the people have to sweat (laughs) off but the real monsters are the the people Mm -hmm. and um even with all of this stuff going on outside with the world ending people are still arguing inside the house about who's boss and who's in charge and those are really like the the key themes of the dead series that make those movies uh you know translate so well to so many people across the years is that when shit hits the fan people do fight over stupid stuff people don't focus on how do we get out of here alive it's i'm the boss i i get to decide who comes in and out the door who's the leader yeah, who's the leader um yeah. you mentioned the racial subtext and that is that is absolutely true especially um in the time that this film came out being released in 1968 uh the lead arguably the lead character it really is a lo- ensemble cast but the lead male uh is a black man and he's kind of the altruistic one who's trying to keep the peace and he's just trying to make sure everybody's getting out and um spoiler alert but this film is also what almost 50 years old yeah, over if, 50 years if, old. if you don't know how night of, of the living dead ends yet we're sorry but but uh that that lead character is killed by police um which yep. is especially even looking at it now still holds a kind of punch to it uh nate you mentioned earlier that this while they were making this film uh martin luther king was shot yeah like while they were driving a print of the car or uh, a print of the movie in their car they heard the story on the news and that's uh, what's really interesting about that first movie with knight is that uh i think i think his name's Dwayne was the main guy mm-hmm. that uh uh he they just cast him because he was right for the part they didn't cast him to make a statement or just because he was black but they talked about that while they were filming the movie like Dwayne would talk to romero and be like man people are gonna get fired up about this and romero was like oh man it's it's a late 60s people aren't worried about that anymore <laughs> so he just had no idea what they were making which is great and i think some of the strongest stories are like that people are just trying to make a a cool story that people are going to enjoy and then just by some sort of serendipitous turn of events like that ends up you know being like one of the most political horror movies ever made and i think it goes to show um for any movie it is heavily affected by the the world that it is released into um suppose that who knows if martin luther king had not been shot at that point who knows how it would have been received but we only know that it's released in a universe where that did happen and now you can't watch that movie and not feel that Mm -hmm. and be like oh man like this is it's strange because it goes against i don't know where this trope began uh but it's one of my least favorite tropes that people like to mention 
and I think it's incredibly annoying is like, oh, the black guy always dies first. That's like super, super annoying to me. And there are movies that prove that that trope true, obviously. But when people bring it up, I'm always like, dude, Night of the Living Dead. He makes it to the end. He dies he, last. And he dies last because of the uh, because of the ignorance and the stupid and the like mob mentality yeah. of the police force. It's a and, case of mistaken identity. They think he's a zombie. Yeah, they assume he's a zombie, so yeah. they just shoot him. And but it, but even it, though he's carrying a gun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, zombies have guns in Land of the Dead and Day of the Dead, man. That's true. Yeah. But <laughs> In Night of the yeah, Dead or Night of the Living Dead, they're all they were, just... Yeah, they weren't there yeah, yet. They were not there yet. But um, uh, with, with the original script, like, the same thing happened to that character when he was white. So it's not like they yeah. ended it to be, you know, edgy or anything. It's just that it just trans- came out, yeah, it translated it came that, way. that way. And it's yeah. wonderful that it translated Yeah, that. I'm glad it did. Uh, and that kind of kicked off uh, Romero's idea of uh, taking on some different socio-political problems in each of his zombie films because the zombie he I I wonder if he realized after that point he's like wait like or maybe he knew when he was doing writing Night of the Living Dead uh as you mentioned with you know the people are the monsters he realized how uh salient the zombie genre could be to make commentaries about people moving on to uh, 1978's Dawn of the Dead this tackles consumerism just like head on right in the face while still also having the uh the sort of you know people are the monsters sort of mentality what what are your thoughts on the original dawn of the dead dawn of the dead is actually um well i would say david is my favorite of the series but dawn's the one i've seen the most and mm-hmm. i can go back and kind of just like pick that movie apart but um i think it's great that uh it's about consumerism and I think it's really smart to put it in a mall and I love that line when they pull up to the mall in their helicopter and they're like what is this place it's one of those indoor shopping centers one of those new malls (laughs) with the Atlantic (laughs) accent yeah Yeah, uh, but it's 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 great because they they keep that heart about um, or that that core about people are the monsters, but it also delves into all of these ideas about consumerism. Like when when the gang is having fun at the mall at first, and it's that montage where they're going shopping, yeah, they're playing video games. Like this is great, but you know, like like all things, the party ends at some point, and they're going to run out of supplies, or like you know, like a zombie's going to break a window and get in, or mm-hmm. something like that. So even you know, like these short windows of having fun are going to come to an end. And I think like that's another theme of those movies is like party while you can smoke them while you got them johnny because yeah, eventually yeah. you're gonna run out yeah and um i think there's i can't remember if it's a line or something like they're looking at they're like why are all the why are all these zombies here what brought yeah, them yeah. here and just like i guess they're just doing what they did while they yeah. were alive well, yeah <laughs> like, it's like Jesus. this place must have been important to these people they're, yeah. they're, they're coming to the place that was important to them when they were when they were alive it's almost like aliens looking on the extinct human race and being like <laughs> what why did they do why are they this? doing this yeah. and why also, did they do oh it must have been a temple of some sort yeah <laughs> And Dawn has that awesome opening at the TV station too. And yeah. it's this idea of like, okay, well, we got to keep these uh, emergency stations. We got to keep all the addresses. And it's like, well, we're sending people to a place where everyone's dead. So you're just sending people to their to their deaths, right? Yeah. But everybody at the at the news station feels like they have this job to do. But it's like there's no one out there watching the news. So what's even the point? So all the employees yeah. start like getting off their consoles and yeah. fuck this. And like, yeah. <laughs> it's truly, bu- truly bleak films. Oh, yeah. Like, but uh, altogether very important to watch. Um, I Let's touch on Day of the Dead because you said it was your favorite. Yes. And why, why is it your favorite? Oh, it's so dark. It's, yeah. It's so dark. And also just the theme, uh, the themes in that movie. I just watched that last night because it's my favorite. <laughs> but uh, with, uh, with all these humans having to hide underground, right? So they have to like uh, – it's basically just wanting to, to 
get things back to the way they were. But there's this awesome line where um, it's I forget his name. It's the guy that flies a helicopter. He has a oh, Jamaican gosh. accent. He's my favorite. Yeah. But when he, um, you know, they're like, oh, you'd you, uh, you'd be happy just going on some island and getting drunk and you know living out the rest of your days. And he's like, shit, I'd be happy doing that if if even if this wasn't happening. Yeah. So like <laughs> I love that that you know like he has it right. It's not about figuring out what caused this. It's not about figuring out who's boss. It's about just enjoying the time that you have left and just trying to appreciate your life while you have a life. And to me, that's like one of the most beautiful sentiments of that movie. Mm -hmm. uh, movie. It's just, you know, there are bigger things. Oh, and um, sorry to take a side road, but there's he also has this awesome monologue where he's showing Sarah what that underground space is used for. And he's like, oh, they have all your Mm -hmm. favorite movie prints. They have, you know, um, every newspaper, like books, like all this stuff. um, But if there's no one here to watch the shit or to read it mm-hmm. what's the point it's well, all cares? it's completely pointless that character has it right Ooh. i haven't seen day of the dead before but it sounds like there's a little bit more maybe some of the characters are a little bit more joyful or a little bit clinging to life in a less desperate way yeah. than the other characters yes the- especially that dude like and, and the, there's also all these um also uh awesome distinct uh Hold on, let me piece this together. There's there's an awesome conflict between scientists and the military, right? Because the scientists want to figure out what's happening and they want to do research, and the military is like, you know, they're like, we don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so, yeah so they're the ones, which is pretty realistic. Yeah, and, uh, they're, but they're the ones that are like, we're the boss, we're running this shit. You have to listen to us. Yeah, and the scientists are just like, let's just try to live together and not kill each other. You yeah, know? which introduces one of uh, the best characters in the whole trilogy. Well, it became more than just a trilogy. There's a lot more dead films than just those three, but those are the main three. Yeah. Uh, Bub. Yeah, Bub. Bub, the the zombie that they are trying to teach how to speak. Uh, I'm currently wearing a Day of the Dead shirt yes. with Bub on it, and uh, he's like a pretty iconic character in ho- in the horror canon mm-hmm. as being the zombie that they try to teach how to what what it, like call your aunt, yeah, call your aunt Felicia. That's it. Call your aunt him, Felicia. They want to teach him how to shave. Yeah, <laughs> he, he eventually can use a gun, which we, we yeah, it's like a seed that we see grown to fruition in Land of the Dead. Absolutely, and um. That's what I want to say about Romero is that he's still, even though he's making these pretty bleak films, he still has that sense of humor about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he still wants the audience. He's such a screwball guy. Um, and I think that really comes through in a couple of his other movies. I'm going to play a little clip of this trailer for a movie. Hopefully you've seen it. but uh, To Alan, to the start of his new life. So you train monkeys exclusively for quadriplegics? How about if I were to donate a monkey? She hasn't been exposed to anything weird in the lab. No. An animal trained to follow commands. How am I supposed to take care of it, Jeff? The idea is that it's going to take care of you. She's unbelievable. She's like a miniature person. So that's a little bit of the trailer for Monkey Shines, which is truly a bizarre concept. <laughs> um, it's it's just unbelievable. Nate, can you can you give them a little bit of a primer on what Monkey Shines is about? I'm very happy to talk about Monkey Shines. So uh, Monkey Shines is about an athlete who gets hit by a, a truck and uh, he is paralyzed. He's quadriplegic. And uh, he's feeling pretty down on life. And uh, someone gets him a support animal, which is this monkey. And uh, the monkey basically kind of, you know, lifts his morale. But he also has, like, a psychic connection with the monkey. And the monkey becomes, like, fiercely jealous of all the people in his life. And it just wants him alone, you know. So it's basically this monkey turning into a homicidal monkey and 
you know, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> What's the tagline like the about how man man was the only animal that could commit murder until now? Until now, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, mo- monkey shines is like a is a perfect example of how Romero can blend humor and horror, and. John Landis did the same thing in American Werewolf in London, but because yeah. uh, there are some kind of chilling moments in that movie, man. Like that, um, anytime that monkey kind of turns on a dime and goes from being like super like loving to like a homicidal monkey, like that stuff's kind of intense, you know? Yeah. And then the idea that he's paralyzed and he can't really like defend himself that much is pretty scary too. But then it's like just that idea of a monk of a, of a monkey being like the villain of a horror movie yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah he's uh he's such a i love romero like as you said blending the humor with the horror because as we've seen with films in the past like you know sam raimi with evil dead well specifically evil dead 2 and army of darkness and other even more recently get out has a lot of humorous aspects to it um i think that it's interesting that these two emotions kind of coexist so well Fear and laughter coexist so well in a genre. And I think it's because they're both such base emotions. Uh, You know, fear, everybody feels fear. And it's such a outward, like, when you are scared, you are scared. And when you are laughing, you are laughing. Like, Mm -hmm. so if you can find a way to hit the right pitch with those, you you have something pretty interesting on your hands. Yeah. Yeah. Screaming and laughter, they're like two... They're almost the same thing because it doesn't feel good to keep that in, you know? You got to yeah. share that with other people because you need to reach out to other people for different reasons. A hundred percent. Monkey Shines. Monkey Shines. Check just, it out. Just an unbelievable movie. Romero's and, romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> a man and his monkey. Yeah. Uh, and then this is a movie that I was recently turned on to by you, Nate, um, and I watched it, and I can't believe that more people have not seen it. Uh, it is a pseudo, almost a pseudo vampire movie called Martin. Yeah, Martin. Uh, give us a little lowdown on what Martin is all about. All right, so Day of the Dead is my favorite of the zombie movies that Romero has done. Martin is my favorite movie that he has ever done. Martin's like a masterpiece. I love that movie so much. But um, basically, Martin follows a young man named Martin. Go okay. figure. And uh, so he <laughs> no be- plot holes yet. Yeah, yeah no, not yet. Um, <laughs> Martin believes he's a vampire, and whether or not this is is true, literally, is up to you as the viewer to distinguish for yourself. And they they really push that idea because Martin has these fantasies about uh, like black and white, like mobs with like torches and yeah. stuff like that. And it's up to you to decide if that really happened or not. But uh, yeah, he thinks he's a vampire, and uh, the movie opens with him on a night train, and he uh, sneaks into this girl's sleeping cabin. Uh, gives her some sort of injection to you know knock her out, and then he cuts her wrist and he drinks her blood, and then it picks up with uh, his uncle picks him up from the train station, and his uncle's basically Van Helsing. Yeah, he's like, reason. you are you. Hi, Martin. It's me, your uncle. You are an eight hundred year old vampire, and I am going to kill you. Like he calls him a Nosferatu. Yeah, he's like, I will put a stake through your fucking heart if I find out you kill anyone in this town. That sounds like an awkward car ride. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing his uncle says to him. But he's yeah. like, but he's like, but I'm going to hire you at my butcher shop, so you're like my delivery boy and he like starts this like relationship with this lady it's so bizarre it's so strange but it's a good character piece. oh it's like, so interesting yeah it's a great com- it's like a coming of age story and uh i just it's so much fun to watch especially because romero clearly wanted to subvert the traditions of what makes a vampire yeah 
because there's a great scene, and I believe it's the one where he calls him Nosferatu. Nosferatu. And he's got the cross out, and Martin's like, I'm not a vampire. He's, and he starts eating garlic. Yeah. Like, he starts like, eating it and spitting it out. Just, I'm he eating goes, See, garlic. magic, there is no magic. There is no magic. That's yeah. what he keeps saying. There's no magic. There's no magic. And uh, But on the side, he's like, killing people he's yeah. like drinking their blood but he's not biting them he's doing it through this like weirdly modern method of how one might drink someone's blood like oh connor you're gonna love it. it yeah i've never seen it it's so good yeah. it's it i think character piece is the best way to put and you it. feel bad for the guy too even though you know he's murdering people but like how nice he is when he puts the, when he gives that girl a shot and she's like what is that and he's like it's just gonna put you to sleep it's just gonna don't worry it's just gonna put you to sleep like yeah he, like he, he seems like he has like a soft spot but he's yeah he's murdering her at yeah. the same time it's and interesting to cast yeah. it as an irredeemable coming of age story yeah learning just that that line there is no magic that's sort of like an interesting yeah. thing yeah. just hearing that in a coming of age movie you know mm -hmm. that's and uh before we end on romero we will say that he's had a very great career things dropped off a little bit towards the end um and i mean i've i don't want to speak ill of the dead uh no pun intended but yeah, that's not um, a new movie <laughs> the ill of the dead yeah that's not it. uh but he did after day of the dead there was a long period of him not making zombie movies, and he came back in 2005 was Land of the Dead. I feel like it was, like, in the 2000s. It was. It was, like, uh, 2004, 2005. 2004, 2005. He made Land of the Dead, and I liked Land of the Dead, but it... Um, it didn't really land, which is weird because the zombie genre did get a revitalization mm -hmm. not long after that. Yeah. And... Um, Especially with uh, Dawn, the remake of Dawn of the Dead helped, but didn't translate into much for Land of the Dead. Mm -hmm. um, then he he experimented a little bit with found footage to you know mixed results, um, but he was just trying to keep up. And uh, there were a couple more in development at the time of his death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's Road of the Dead, which is like Death Race meets a zombie movie. Hell yeah! And um, I'm spacing on the other two, but I think he had three projects and two of them are zombie movies mm -hmm. but um i imagine they're still going to try to make those absolutely zombie. absolutely and we hope i hope they do i'd love to see them even though he's no longer with us the influence stands like most people i mean with just there was a huge zombie resurgence of zombie culture in like yeah. the mid with the walking dead yeah yep. walking dead the mid 2000s like it became zombies became like super cool again you could go to Kohl's and get some dumb t-shirt that's yeah. like oh my other you know my other spaghetti is a brain like, <laughs> I don't, the vampire <laughs> thing went down and then zombies, yeah, zombies rose back it, it was interesting yeah the meme economy yeah, I remember seeing, seeing a T-shirt that said "Stay calm and aim for the head." Right, so like, there's all yeah. kinds of stuff. But like, Romero talked about the Walking Dead TV show, and uh, he wishes they would have asked him about it before they made the show because those zombies are like obviously riffing on what he had done. Mm -hmm. I think like after the show is well established, they asked him to direct like one episode, and he was like, "Nah, man, that's no. a little too close for comfort." He's like, "I wish they would have called me when I was when they were making the Bible for the show." Yeah. That would have been nice. He was the godfather. A lot of people, I mean, people consulted him on all things zombie. Like, um, the last thing that I would say about Romero, like uh, Eli Roth had this awesome quote about Romero, and he says, you can trace the line all the way from Night of the Living Dead all the way through Get Out. Yeah. And, he, and you could see it, man. Like, there would be 
no get out if it was not for night of the living dead because like that kicked the door down and people were like you can make smart scary movies that have a lot of socio-political subtext to it i love that i love that a lot all right so from no coast cinema to mr george romero wherever you are i hope you are leading a unholy horde of the dead to ravage this earth and i look forward to it we love you thank you for all the films you made thank you Thank you so much, Mr. Romero. We'll be right back in just a moment. We're going to quickly go through some of our favorite films of the first half of 2017. You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I was trying to see where I could go on the scale. We'll be right back in just a moment. <laughs> We're going to be like, uh, in Chicago? In oh, Chicago. In Chicago. All right, everybody, you are back listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I am your host, Tom Hush, and welcoming back again, Mr. Connor Cornelius in one corner. How fast do you think that you could do that? The intro? That pitch really quick. That's not a pitch, I guess. It's like uh, a mission statement? Pretty, pretty, pretty fast. Okay, all right. I, hold on. It's a challenge. <clears throat> like... Eminem and Rap God fast? Yeah. Oh, come. That's not fair. That's not fair? Okay. That's not fair. Do you want me to do it as fast as I can? Yeah, go for we it. You can do it. Please. Okay. <laughs> Please. Five, four, three. All right, everybody. You're back to No Co Cinema here on WGM Plus. You are, we are your guy. Damn it. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. That was good. No, I liked it. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is definitely going in the episode. Along with the news song. All right. Real quick, we want to cap off today's episode with a look back at the first half of 2017 in film. We've just got a few films that really stood out to us. We're gonna. I'm gonna say this right now. If we didn't, if we forgot something, we've seen a lot of movies, right? We watch a lot of movies every single year, and there are some that we see, and there are some that we don't see. I can honestly tell you right now, I have not seen Dunkirk yet. I have not seen. Um, holy cow! What have I, I? I didn't see the Mummy. That's for sure. <laughs> um, what? I have not seen Spider-Man: uh, Homecoming. I've not seen more for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, and there's a bunch of smaller movies that I haven't had the pleasure of seeing either. So this is just out of what we've seen. Please take it with a grain of salt. This is just what we think. And while we're on the uh, subject of concessions, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you are a frequent listener of the show, you've definitely heard us mention the movie Get Out a few times. I would um, say almost every single episode it we has have to some be. reason to bring up Get Out. We brought it up today earlier. Yeah. I think and I brought it up three times just in this one episode. It's Boom. hard to not talk about it. So let's just assume that that is on all three of our lists. Yes. Hands down. All right. All right. Moving Nate, on. since you are the guest, let's start with uh, a couple of your picks. Thank you. There you go. Uh, let's see. Logan was great. Yes. I love that movie. That I was a very, I think that was, I wish superhero movies could end now. Because like yeah yeah that'd be what a cool place for like basically just yeah we're just not going to make any more superhero movies yeah. yeah what else is there to do he's been in that role for seventeen years 
And yeah. It was the best. He ended his tenure with like the best yeah. superhero movie ever. Yeah. Even though some old lady ruined the ending for me. Oh, she was walking out when I was going in. in. She's like, I can't believe that. And I was like, I, man, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, thanks. But, um, but listen, <laughs> uh, there's a horror movie called The Devil's Candy that yes. I saw, which is wonderful. Um, it's, it has Ethan Embry, which you guys remember Ethan Embry? He's mm-hmm. he's amazing in that movie. He looks like uh, Otis from The Devil's Rejects. Like He has like his <laughs> beard and long hair. He's like a total metalhead. What's the premise of The Devil's Candy? Uh, so he plays an artist. He's a painter, and uh, he's married and has like a, a teenage daughter, and uh, they just moved into this new house. And uh, so basically you find out that the guy that lived in this house before them was extremely mentally ill and, uh, and unstable. And he heard voices that he thought were the devil telling him to kill people. And the only thing that would silence those voices was if he played his extremely metal flying V guitar loud as hell. And that would drown out the voices. So uh, the people that lived with him and his family were like, hey, you got to cut that shit out. So he killed his family. <laughs> oh my God. And uh, he got put in into an institution. And right around the, t- the time that Ethan Embry's family moves into the house, he gets out of the institution somehow. Oh, and boy. he comes home because he wants he to play wants his to. guitar. Oh, God. And uh, and the dad, Ethan Embry, starts hearing voices, too. And uh, he starts painting really weird, violent shit, like, with his daughter mm. in the paintings, of, like, his daughter getting murdered and stuff. And, but he's able to finally get the interest of this art dealer that he's, like, wanted to get into under that guy's wing for a really long time. And now that he starts painting fucked up shit, the guy wants to bring him on. Yeah. Is it really worth it? You know, <laughs> his family's going to get destroyed. Oh, that was God. a wonderful movie. Wow. What a that's yeah. what a pitch. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen in a nutshell. There it is. Do you, do you have one do you have one more? Or was it really I mean Logan Logan and Devil's Candy, pretty good. Pitch. There's there's been a lot of good movies this year, man. It's hard to narrow them down right. as far you know, as far but like uh since yeah, Get Out, which we all know. So yeah. like those are my main three. Get out, Logan and Devil's Candy. Excellent. Connor. Uh so uh not to be on too much of like the superhero movie bandwagon, but uh it is relatively early in 2017. We have, you know, the winter season to look forward to with a little yeah. bit more, like, challenging films. Prestige films. Yeah, a yeah. little bit more prestige films, the stuff that's going to win awards. Uh, not to say some of them that haven't been released aren't out yet, but two of the films that I saw most recently, uh, Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins. Uh, fantastic, awesome origin story movie, and I feel like those are always my least favorite in the uh in the superhero canons Mm -hmm. um even something like captain america i thought the first one was pretty bad and the second one was amazing so if it follows that if wonder woman follows that path i i mean i think that it could definitely be making a case for the strongest superhero on the market right now Mm -hmm. um but to go across the i don't know the aisle across (laughs) the shelf i also saw the new spider-man movie recently and i thought that that was just really fun because uh, I grew up with Spider-Man with the hyphen and everything, and with I the, with, with the, the hyphen, hyphen and everything, <laughs> and the two things that I really appreciated about the about the movie above all else was one how they avoided the biting of the radioactive spider. It's just taken care of in one line of dialogue, mm-hmm. and I think that that saves the audience because they've probably already seen it two times in the last seventeen years, mm-hmm. but. I just like that they move on with the story, you know, and they make the movie, it makes the movie a little bit feel more self-contained, which is nice in a universe that is so interconnected. And then the other thing, I just think that 
uh, Tom Holland is his name, right? Yes. I think he did a did, did a great job capturing the young Peter Parker, just very excitable and you know not cocky. I thought that the previous Spider Man uh, was a little bit too pompous or something. Sure. I feel that yeah, with Andrew He's, Garfield, not that Andrew Garfield is a bad actor by any no, by any terms, not at all. Uh, I feel like they they made him cool, which is not what you're supposed to do. No, yeah, like and far be it for me to say what anybody's supposed to do with a character, but the reason that Peter Parker works as a character is because he's he's a loser. Like he's a, he's an average guy there's nothing really special i mean he's special because he's smart yeah and um but he's like you know he's not a uh you know super cool or super handsome or anything like that although tom holland is not a bad looking dude Neither was Toby Maguire, um, especially in the Toby. third one when oh, we, when you got to see Bad cool Boy Toby. Toby. Yeah, yeah it's cool, cool it's Toby. Toby, uh, I love you. You're a very good looking man. Don't ever let anybody tell you that's otherwise. Right, but uh, yeah, with the Andrew Garfield one, they made him like cool, and he I was just cool. like, I mean, that's fine and everything, but. Um, I'm glad. I feel like they got back to the roots of the character. Yes, so that's um, exactly what it is. That they, scene with Donald Glover in that parking garage. Yeah, that was crazy. He's using the voice modulator. That's yeah. awesome. He's like, I could be intimidating. <laughs> or like, yeah, just how how grounded the film is and just him being a kid. It's like the suit asks him, would you like me to turn on instant kill mode? And he's like, no. So, <laughs> so there's all this stuff we have to look forward to from the character. But he's yeah. happy being a being where he's at right now being a kid not beginning too into the into the spider-man as a massive superhero killer role he's just yeah. a friendly neighborhood spider-man he's a friendly neighborhood which Spider-Man. is what i grew up with so i but appreciated speaking that. of murder i know you and i both <laughs> saw john wick chapter two. Oh yeah and uh how did w- would that make your list it would absolutely i thought i think that i don't know if it's better than the first one but i just love Looking at that movie from the perspective of the people that John Wick is killing, because it <laughs> might as well be a horror movie. I think that's. <laughs> he's like Jason. Yeah, he's Dude, like they, Jason. they make him a god. Like he's unstoppable. That's I. One of my favorite parts of the second one is the opening where they're just like, "Do you realize what you did? Like <laughs> yeah. this guy is going to murder all of you in the most spectacular way possible, and there's literally nothing you can do about it. And like, then that just happens. That prophecy just happens over the course of the movie yeah i do appreciate that in this one they made him a little bit they did make him um you can hurt him like he gets shot he gets beat up a bit throughout the process of the movie so um john wick is was also one of my personal uh favorites in terms of um what came out in 2017 that scene in the mirror the room of mirrors i yeah with uh ruby rose maybe my favorite scene of 2017 so really very those movies are both very visually stunning but i would say chapter two really ups the ante oh yeah um and the fight choreography the there's a great fight scene between keanu reeves and uh common when they're on the train and they have the knife fight and they have to keep it like secret and yeah. he just kind of like stabs him and leaves him there like oh man if that you was... take that knife out you're gonna bleed to death yeah, yeah that's all oh, man it was great um personally i would say Right, oh God, it's so hard to choose because there were there were a lot of great films that I saw. Um, in terms of like something really original, uh, the movie Raw, which I've talked about here before, um, that came out back in like March, something like that. But that has stayed with me. I have been desperately waiting for it to come out on like home video so I can get it. Um, the story of a uh, French girl going to veterinary school who develops a taste for the human human flesh. And it's so good. It's so 
inside like it's it's like french body horror <laughs> it's uh it's john carpenter by way of paris and it's wow. very interesting i'm excited to see it i haven't gotten a chance to but yeah me either it looks amazing yeah definitely check out raw um i think you might be able to rent it digitally but it's at that like eight dollar price point oh, you know yeah. that they do it, it makes sense you know it's a small smaller film um another one is it comes at night uh which if you look at the reviews online, the rotten like the Rotten Tomatoes the aggregators, all the critics really loved it comes at night. I really loved it comes at night. But if you look at the reaction from viewers, totally panning it. Oh yeah. Which is sad really because I feel like they just the the name of the movie itself leads you to believe something and I, that's like the point of it. Mhm. But also, like, to some people, to the uninitiated film goer, they might just be like, well, where's the thing? Where's the where's it? The, where's the it? Where's it? Where is it? Where's the clown? It's supposed to come at night. It's night. It's not here? What is this, a sequel to It Follows? Yeah, right. It follows, and then it comes at night. <laughs> yeah. The greatest <laughs> the greatest trilogy ever made. It, <laughs> it, it follows. It, it comes, comes at night. night. Watch them in that order. And so, then also... Baby, Boss Baby, Boss baby, baby Driver, and Drive. drive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But yeah, It Comes at Night. Dude, It's the title is so important to that movie because you have to ask yourself, what is it? And uh, not to give too much away here because you just got to see it. It's very much, speaking of George Romero and this idea of people as monsters, um, this is very much in that spirit. This is like some very subversive Romero sort of uh social commentary sort of stuff it's also like strangely sexual and very it's just very good it's very good joel edgerton is in it and he turns in a great performance um just check it out just for the sake of trying to find out what it is uh and then finally kong skull island great 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 watching experience yeah it is it is um i really appreciate that movie not because it has anything greater to say about society but because it is entertainment at full blast it's fun it's it's apocalypse now with a giant monkey in it like (laughs) it is it is so it it's so much fun i watched it again on a on a plane uh coming back from north carolina and i was just like wow like this is still really good like it's it's dumb but in the best sort of way uh so there it is some of our picks for our favorites of 2017 so far of course when we get to the end of the year we'll be doing a much more comprehensive list and um really dig into what we uh loved about 2017 in film so far though i would give 2017 pretty like i'd give it an a in terms of movies like pretty great movies have come out um uh this year in 2017 and we haven't even got to some other films like the beguiled uh which is supposed to be great it's it's not even there uh it's not even out yet and um, the eighth installment in the star wars canon yes sir oh my god I can't even believe that. I know. <laughs> it, I remember as a kid thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if, and now I'm just kind of like, man, wouldn't it be great if, <sighs> wouldn't it be great if they kind of stopped for a little bit? Like, I don't know. Let's That's... not forget about Boo a Medea Halloween 2. Okay. I'm, I, before we get out of here, I want to <laughs> tell everybody how excited I am for uh, Medea 2, Medea Halloween 2. I watched the first one. It is so funny. It's <laughs> funny. It's, I, you know, and uh, I think friend of the show, uh, Mr. Jake Wiseman, could also speak to this. He loves the Medea movies because <laughs> they are so genuinely funny. Like, they're so silly. 
And I really, I, I don't know. Call you could call me an idiot. Call me whatever you want. I love those Medea movies. So I never call you. Boo. An idiot. My mom loves Medea, so yeah, I get dude. that from her. I'll call boo. you an idiot. Tom, watch. Tom, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you're an idiot. <laughs> get out of the show. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Noco Cinema. Uh, big thank you to Nate Waters. Thank Check you. out Into the Void Films. They're on Facebook, uh, and you can catch like. He's such a cool guy. You recently, you actually recently came off a film shoot not too long ago yep. for a film uh, called uh, Every 21 Seconds. Yeah, Every 21 Seconds. And uh, so keep an eye out for that. There was a great piece in the Chicago Tribune uh, profiling the making of that film. So great. He was You were the assistant director on that one. <clears throat> Put in a lot of hard work. So if you can uh, look up Every 21 Seconds, um, I think you're going to find something you'll like. And it's not horror. Nope. It is not horror. But... Um, Great job, Nate. Good Thank you. you. Thank yeah, you for having me you. on, guys. And I was looking at the cast. There are definitely some names that I recognize. Jim O'Hare. Jim, Jim O'Hare was awesome. He was the nicest guy on the planet. And oh, oh man, what's the movie? The Motor Speedway movie coming out with Daniel Logan Craig. Lucky. Yeah, uh, what's it? Lucky Logan. Logan, Lu- Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky. Yeah. I, so I was watching that trailer. Jim O'Hare's in that movie, right? And he's like in the first shot, like firing Channing Tatum. And I just like look over at Amy. I'm like, I worked with him. It's not even like <laughs> to rub it in, but I was like, this is fucking awesome. I'm in a movie theater with like a f- sold out theater, and then. There's this dude that I, I was lucky enough to be able to work with. So. And Jim O'Hare is Jerry in Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah and he's yeah. the nicest man you will ever meet. I believe it. He's super cool. He fired me four times, but he hired me back four times. So. Oh, what a nice dude. There you go. Yeah, That's awesome. nice Good. It, 100% rehire rate yep. fire rate 100% uh, thank you Connor it's so good to see you again yeah after back a in three action. week hiatus yes and uh, a retroactive thank you to Lise Graham for uh, filling in those couple of weeks uh, again you can catch her great podcast Lise FM Lise.FM just go on Facebook it's gonna have all of it it's all over SoundCloud she's fantastic uh, again this has been No Coast Cinema here on WGM Plus we are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world good morning good evening and good night what?